So today I'm beginning a new message series, sort of a briefer one compared to the last one. This one's called Ordinary Miracles, Practicing the True Spirit of the Holidays. And I want to start with something that actually I think uh, a number of you know about, because actually a number of you told me about this past week. Have you seen this? Okay. Do you know what that is? Jupiter, Venus, and the third? The moon. A waxing crescent moon, to be exact. Now, hopefully you can see it from there, but it appears to be a smiley face. (laughs) It appears to be a smiley face on the left-hand side, and actually, that picture, I think, has taken over Australia. But the reason I first heard about it this week is that I believe the daily newspaper in Mumbai, the daily newspaper of that city that was attacked, showed a picture like this. And actually, the interesting thing is, depending upon where you see it from on the earth, it either is a smiley face or a frowny face. But in Mumbai, it was seen as a smiley face. And so the banner, the headline in this newspaper in Mumbai read, The Heavens Smile on Mumbai. The aftermath of the terrorist attacks there. Ancient peoples might have seen this as a literal sign. A literal sign because they believed that the heavens were literally, heaven and the heavens were synonymous. That was the celestial realm. It was up there. It was kind of a universe that existed in three parts. Gods or God up in the heaven, earth here, down below, hell, nether regions, Hades, whatever you want to call it. And so they would have seen, perhaps perceived this as a sign, as a literal sign because maybe this was just sort of God's chalkboard trying to get a message across literally speaking down to the earth. Now, many world traditions draw upon astrological, astronomical events to find significance, to find meaning. Now, most familiar to us in the West and most familiar particularly this time of the year is, of course, what? The star, the Christmas star, the star in the east, the star that led the ancient Magi, who were probably Zoroastrians from Persia, led him to the baby Jesus. Now, there's modern versions of this as well, following this archetype most famous, or at least the most popular movie this past year, Batman. What happens when he's in need? Flashes in the sky. There you see it. The need is met, ideally. It's an ancient, ancient desire to see written into the sky something that is significant to us. Now, some people seeing this this past week might ask, well, what does it mean? Is this on God's chalkboard saying somehow, don't worry, be happy? Is this saying somehow, well, you know what? Still something happy exists. Is this a version of what Dame Julia Norwich, the famous mystic in a time of her own suffering, said, but all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Or perhaps if this was perceived as a frown, Perhaps it was a frown out of sympathy, like the old blue song, the sky is crying and the rain is full of tears. It's comforting, in a way, to believe these things. But it brings up a huge problem. It brings up a huge problem, which is that if we locate in the sky certain miracles or signs or meaning, they lead us to an infinite regress of questions, which is that if we live in the kind of universe that can produce don't worry, be happy signals to people who have suffered a great deal 
Why can't also perhaps the seas upon which those terrorists traveled from Pakistan down into Mumbai, why couldn't the seas just sort of have have risen up and swallowed those terrorists whole, and so perhaps they never would have reached their intended target? Once we say for sure that something is a sign or something is a miracle or something is magical, we also want to know why the sky that perhaps can smile is also the sky that can rain down horrible hurricanes and wipe out whole cities. This holiday season that we're starting right now is a time in the ancient world of signs, symbols, magic, mystery, miracles. And perhaps we recognize just a little bit at this time of year what perhaps the most famous scientist of all time said. The universe is not just stranger than we know, it is stranger than we can know. Einstein said that. If we perceive that the strangeness is also a beautiful thing at this time of the year, maybe we want to ask ourselves then, is this a delusion? Is this a delusion of wanting to see what we want to see so it makes us feel better? Or is it perhaps, is it perhaps a trick of the mind or the heart beckoning us on towards a deeper relationship with reality? Perhaps in this dark of December, new dreams can be born and we see things more crisply, more clearly. Now, one of the most examined areas, this intersection between what is miraculous and what seems to violate the normal order of nature, is the study, ongoing studies, between the intersection between prayer and healing. Maybe some of you have read some of these studies over the last few years. There was one recent one that I read in the Research in Social Work Practice, a journal that I'm getting just about every week these days. Found it online that actually found in terms of a meta-analysis of seven different studies that were done about prayer and healing, and not just a specific kind, uh, not just any kind of prayer, but a specific kind, which is called intercessory prayer. It's the kind of prayer that perhaps comes very natural to us when someone we know is in trouble. Please, please let them be healed. Let them be okay. Let them be safe. That is intercessory prayer. Well, in this journal, The Practice of Social Work, A very respected scholar took a look at about these seven different studies and actually found that there was a small, a small but significant positive relationship between intercessory prayer and healing, between those praying and those prayed for. Now, one of those studies within that came out about two and a half years ago and actually found nothing of the sort. Perhaps you remember, it got a lot of play in the Washington Post, the New York Times, remember seeing it on CNN. It was a study particularly of cardiac care patients who had been through bypass surgery. And there were three different kinds of groups in the studies. One, one had no prayers said for them. A second group had prayers said for them, but they didn't know. And the third group had prayers said for them, and they knew that they were being prayed for. And the study found absolutely no positive correlation between being prayed for and your health. And so I remember my snarky and not terribly um, gracious response at the time, because indeed all the communities that were praying for these people who were cardiac patients were Christian communities. And so I, perhaps revealing part of my minority religious status, I grew up Jewish, I'm Unitarian Universalist right now, perhaps wanting to lash out a little bit, I said, well, perhaps, you know, it's just Christian prayers that don't work. That's mean-spirited, and I really don't think that, especially because this past week I got uh, an email from one of my favorite Christians, a friend of mine who is an Episcopal priest in Madison, Wisconsin, 
And she is not a big believer in the expected magic of prayer, but she sent out a request for all of us. She said an old family friend of theirs, their son, who's in his 20s, who had one of these, you know, awful bugs that is very resistant to antibiotics. Well, he got one of these infections, and they thought they had it stopped, and they didn't, and he was in the hospital. She said, please hold him. Scott Chestnut, I remember his name. Scott Chestnut, hold him and his family in your hearts. Pray for him. Pray for his family. And the next morning, the email came. Scott died last night. One conclusion to reach from this, of course, is that our prayers were worthless. Just as impotent as trying to fill in, just as futile as trying to fill in the ocean with one handful of sand in our pocket. And I guess to ultimately make that judgment about whether our prayers are worthless or not, you really have to ask what was the desired outcome. What was the outcome that I had in my heart when I was praying? Of course, I hoped, I hoped that he would be healed. But my prayer, and this always happens in situations like this when I'm asked to pray for someone who is healing, that's part of it. I I really hope they do get better, obviously. But the deeper prayer is this, to pray for the kind of unlimited love that will equip me to face whatever is there, knowing that my wishes and hopes are very limited things. I prayed for the kind of unlimited love so I could pay attention, knowing how limited my own prayers and hopes are. Now, there's two different meaning, two different meanings to the world miracles. One is probably the commonplace one that you would think of and the one you're thinking of right now. Say here, in this Unitarian Universalist congregation, he's talking about miracles today. I thought I came to a Unitarian Universalist congregation to get away from all that miraculous stuff, especially this time of the year. Well, I can understand that. And that's what the first kind of definition of miracle is, is a violation of the daily observable laws of our universe as we would expect them to be. Now, under this definition, miracles are definitionally unreliable. They violate our expectation of how things would be. But there's a second meaning as well, too. The second meaning is that a miracle is something, an object, that causes us to wonder. That's what the word miracle means in the original Latin. It means something that brings about awe, something that conjures up wonder, something that makes us see more deeply, love more clearly, invest in life more fully. And this is where it's my turn to take a shot at Horace. Horace is incapable of this kind of miracle. Last time, Last time we saw Horace, if you were here and we referred to it today, Horace was absolutely trapped in what was. Well, today in a classic case of overcorrection, Horace is now trapped in what will be. He has what I like to call anywhere but here syndrome. And have you ever suffered from this? Anywhere but here syndrome? Trapped in the past, perhaps an old negative memory or perhaps nostalgia for what was, or projecting forward into that future that is not yet created and we want to be there so much or perhaps we fear it so much. And so literally what we are practicing is the worst spiritual practice I can recommend. Anywhere but here. Anywhere but now. Anywhere but standing where we are. Miracles, whether the first or the second definition, whether the violation of the natural laws or the things that cause us to grow into wonder. Miracles are about here. Miracles are about the practice of being anywhere, perhaps, but being here most profoundly. 
Now, I don't want to rule out that first kind of miracle, but I want to be really, really careful with it. Some of you know the book, Finding Darwin's God. Amazing book, a wonderful book that I bought like two and a half years ago and only recently picked up. I do this a lot. I pick up a book. I read the first chapter. I get a little nugget for preaching on it, and then I move on to the next thing. (laughs) It's a real flaw in my character. Well, I went back and I'm reading now all the way through Finding Darwin's God. He is a professor of biology at Brown University. He is both fully a biologist and a believer. He says he believes in God, not in spite of evolution, but because of it. He is not one of those who looks for what he calls the God in the gaps that, ooh, because evolution hasn't explained something yet, their God is. The problem with that is that ground is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. That kind of spirituality is inherently defensive, inherently always opposing, never truly growing. And in the book, he covers the idea of what about miracles? from a scientific, rigorously scientific perspective. And this is what he says. What can science say about a miracle? His answer, nothing. By definition, miracles are beyond explanation, beyond our understanding, beyond science. That does not mean that miracles do not occur. About 10 months ago, I had the opportunity. Actually, I showed you a little bit from it in a message last spring. I had the opportunity to be truly on one of the most holy holy grounds that I've ever occupied, a place called Olivia's House. It's in York, Pennsylvania. And it is a place, a center of healing for children who are bereaved. Young children, teenagers who've lost a parent, who've lost a sibling. And we know how crushing that can be to a child's worldview when that happens. And so this place, Olivia's House, exists only to be there for these children and help bring them back to wholeness, help bring them back to healing. And in one of the many rooms, there's like 10 different themed rooms. One is like a walking on the moon room. And there's this other one in which you have this dolphin sort of leaping majestically out of the air and held there in the picture. It really creates quite an impression. And I asked the leader of Olivia's house where that picture, where that image came from. And she said, well, it came from one of our former kids that we had here who lost his father. And he's grown up now. And he's serving in the Navy. And he said that about, I don't know, this was maybe a year or two ago, he was serving on a destroyer. And what happened is, and I understand nothing about the actual science, what happens on a destroyer, but he essentially, when one of the jets fired his engines, he and a friend of his were blown backward. His friend actually was blown down to the side of the ship about three stories below and was knocked unconscious. This young man was knocked all the way off the destroyer, and into the ocean. And he stayed there before they found him all night. All night by himself in that dark water, feeling at times these things going near or around his legs. And his prayer was, dear God, just let it be quick. Let it be quick if it's going to happen. Let these sharks take me and just take a big, big bite out of me and hit an artery and let me go quickly. Well, the shark bite never came. And the next morning, what they saw, in fact, was that all night long he was circled by dolphins, almost sort of keeping him safe. And actually, I've heard that there isn't much miraculous about this, that sometimes sailors lost at sea, as the ancient saying goes, are surrounded and kept safe by dolphins. But after this, this young man told a story to all his shipmates. 
that the day before when they were dragging some nets, I guess they do this on destroyers again, I don't know particularly what happens, they were picking up some animals. They actually thought it was a shark. They were picking up some sharks in their nets, and they were going to kill the sharks because, you know, I guess that's what sailors like to do. And in fact, that they had found mistakenly that what had been drug up was a dolphin. And he cut the net, and the dolphin went free. Now, is this the same exact dolphin? Part of the team, did they communicate? Did it go through the dolphin wire? Save this guy if he ever winds up in our world, because he saved us when we were in his. Now, I don't want to rule that out as a miracle. All I want to say about that is that is one hell of a cool story. (laughs) And let it go at that. Because also, I cannot build anything substantial in terms of my faith on that story. Building your faith on the existence of those wow moments or those miraculous moments only. Well, I kind of think it's like, um, like you're the high school geek. Well, not that I knew anything about that myself personally. And you're convinced. You are convinced that the head cheerleader, because she smiled at you once and said hello to you in the, in the halls once or twice, that really she loves you. <laughs> That's thin evidence. <laughs> and probably you are deluding yourself. Ultimately, at its base, spirituality, all true religion, is about the experience of trustworthiness. And miracles are inherently unreliable. Whether we believe they exist or believe they do not exist, they are inherently unreliable. Spirituality really, in its essence, comes down to what Sharon Salzberg, the wonderful Buddhist teacher, talked about in the very title of her book called Faith. Faith, colon, trusting your own deepest experience. That is why Kenneth Miller, the esteemed biologist, does not build his faith on miracles. His spirituality, again, is not in spite of, but because of the beautiful wonder and order of this world as it is. He knows that true spirituality, true religion, is about loving what is here, practicing being here, not loving what we cannot know or what only comes about every once in a while, but about loving what is here. It is about paying attention, paying attention to now. Actually, about a year ago, we did a drama of this famous little story I'm about to tell you. Frank, I think you starred in it. It's the story of a guy who knows a flood is approaching. And as the flood approaches, he says, I am going to wait for a miracle, a sign to save me, a sign to save me. And eventually, as the water starts to rise up to, you know, near his knees, his Neighbors come by paddling in a canoe and say, would you like a ride out of here? And he says, no, 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 I'm waiting for a sign. I'm waiting for a miracle. And eventually gets up to about his mid-chest and he has to go up to the top of his house. And one of his neighbors comes by in a speedboat. said, I came back for you because I wanted to give you a second chance at this. He says, no, I am waiting. I am counting on a miracle. God will save me. And then finally... He is up at the top of his house. There is no other place higher that he can climb. And it is up to his very neck. And a helicopter, a Coast Guard helicopter, comes by and drops him a line and says, Would you like to be safe? No. I am waiting for a miracle. I'm waiting on a sign. And the guy dies. He drowns. And as the story says, he finds himself at the pearly gates of heaven. And he is annoyed. I was so faithful. 
I was so faithful. I was waiting on a sign, waiting on a miracle. And they look at him there. Didn't you get the canoe, the boat, or the helicopter? Paying attention. (laughs) That's the problem with building a faith only on the miraculous or only on the out of the ordinary. We don't see what is there every day in our lives that can truly help us live miraculously. I've got to tell you that the expectation of the miraculous is dangerous. And I want to go back to one of those studies, the one that proved there was no positive causation between intercessory prayer and healing. Well, one other thing was found out which is that that third group, the group that was being prayed for and knew that they were being prayed for, you know what happened to them? They got worse. (laughs) They got worse. Now, again, it's one study. It's a small thing. You can't necessarily extrapolate out huge consequences from this, but theirs was the only health that got worse. Perhaps it was because they were waiting on the unexpected making the unexpected expected. They were putting all their hopes there and holding out the wrong kind of hope that, in fact, in fact, that caused them to become more sick. There's a Bruce Springsteen song called Counting on a Miracle from The Rising. Perhaps you know it, that beautiful concept album of his that's about life after 9-11 of death and loss and love and rebirth in the song Counting on a Miracle is about that person who has lost their absolutely beloved and is caught in that place between what the heart desires so much and the head knows it just cannot have. You hear the pain and the anguish of being caught in that place, waiting for a life perhaps that will never materialize. And all the while we hear it in the voice of the character in that song, all the while the life that is there disappears. This season, on the Christian calendar, it's called Advent. It's about learning to wait expectantly with the right or healthy expectations. Expectations are tricky, just like in that prayer study. And actually, I want to take it beyond Advent, beyond any Christian calendar. I think right now, where many of us find ourselves, this time in the world, this place between seasons, this place between years, this place between administrations, This is a time of a lot of waiting, perhaps one foot in fear and the other in hope and not knowing which is going to get the upper hand in our lives. And so it's so important to have the right kind of expectations. See, if we have the kind of expectations that are outcome driven, that unless I get this, I will not be satisfied or not be happy, they are dangerous. They are dangerous to your soul. They are dangerous to yourself because you could end up losing yourself. You could end up losing God. You could end up losing your spiritual life because you don't get exactly what you want. You wonder perhaps if everything was a sham. Everything was a lie. Now that said, I believe, in spite of everything I said, that miracles can save your life. But is that second understanding of what is miraculous that can save your life? Awakening to wonder. How many of you have seen the movie Michael Clayton? Okay, quite a lot of you. By the way, bravo for George Clooney, because he was just like 10 years ago, he was just a pretty boy. You know, he was just that guy on ER who thought he was going to be doofus, good-looking guy for the rest of his life. Man, what an actor. 
Well, if you know the movie, I'm going to give you just a brief encapsulation of it. If you don't know, excuse me. It's, he, he plays a fixer. He plays an attorney who works for a very high-powered, very shady kind of corporate law firm. And what he does is he goes in and he cleans up other people's messes. And because of some bad decisions made in his life and some bad decisions made by the firm, he finds his life really, really falling apart. He finds that everything he once believed in has been compromised. And perhaps his life is circling down the drain. And after one particularly tough time in his life, he is out late because he's had to do one more fix-it job. Someone who doesn't trust him, someone who doesn't want to listen to him. And he knows that, frankly, what this person did is an awful thing. But yet this is what his life has become. He is really in this place of despair. And in fact, unbeknown to him, his life is also being targeted because of what he knows. And so he's driving along this empty, deserted road north of New York City. And it's sort of this misty, cold morning. And he pulls off very suddenly to the side of the road. And we don't quite see it at first. But what he sees there, and the look on George Clooney, the actor's face, is incredible. He sees wild horses galloping and eating and just standing up on the top of this hill. And the look on his face, it's like he's never seen anything so beautiful and so strange in his entire life. It's almost like he twists his body because he can't quite understand what it is that he's seeing. And he goes up to the horses and he just pays attention. He just looks. And in back of him, his car with a bomb in it explodes. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry I ruined it for you. But I got to teach and I got to preach, so it served the bill. The miracle of wonder saved his life. He was saved by amazement. And I want to tell you that looking at the world with those kinds of eyes, that kind of, oh my God, <laughs> that can save you. It may not save your actual life, but it could save you from despair. It could save you from the kind of sadness that you think you can never awaken from. And so in this season of waiting, this season of preparation, I want to try to ask you to move your mind from miraculous expectation of outcomes to miraculous preparation of waiting for re-enchantment. This is the time of the year when the earth most slumbers. It is the time of the year of dreaming. It is an invitation for all of us to open up again. Regardless of whether your tradition is the, are the Hanukkah lights or the Christmas tree or the birth of baby Jesus or the turning of the seasons, whatever it is, this time in the year is an invitation to open up. If you think you know it all, I want to say you will be told, guess again. Guess again. That's the best blessing I can give for you this time of the year, especially as anxious as so many of us are right now because things just appear so dire. It was a brutal week. It was a week in which every time I turned on the television, there was another piece of bad news. And what I made myself practice is that for every number of minutes, every half hour or hour I spent obsessing about what I absolutely cannot control, I made sure to spend that time in spiritual practice. 
We need that counterbalance because the news can be so bad. I think this capacity, this invitation to guess again, it is most required now than at any point in the 10 year, ten plus years I've been in ministry. What is most needed from us and from you right now? The open heart, the mind that knows what it cannot yet know, the spiritual imagination. These are your best tools at this moment because fear wants us to put blinders on. Fear wants us to shut down. Fear wants us to live in the illusion to be a little bit like Rip Van Winkle. Maybe I just go to sleep through this winter of our discontent. I will wake up and everything will be okay. Well, actually, financially, it probably won't anyway. I don't think you can sleep that long. That's just the truth of it. Maybe this is where you are today, wondering or waiting about the status of your job, wondering or waiting about the status of your health care. It's tough. I mean, it is tough, and I don't have an answer to that. Read the op-ed pages. I mean, you don't, don't take your financial you know, or economic understanding from your minister. Please don't do that. But what we can do together, what we can do together is develop that mindset of being ready when we are asked or told. Guess again. Like Horace, the point might be right. What's the point? But you know, really, all you'll do with that, just as Horace does, is give back the time you have and ensure that the worst thing you envision will be what will happen to you. That is exactly what will happen to you. And also what I believe is this, and this time of the year it's a beautiful thing, that if we don't truly know the night, we can never understand what the light looks like to us. If we don't know the night, we probably can't see the light. So I would encourage you, do not count on a miracle, but rather commit to living miraculously. That's what we are called to do. Now, how to do that? I'm going to save that for next week when we talk about some of the more specific practices we can have this time of the year. But for now, what I want to ask you is to do this. This week, just see one fresh thing. I can't tell you what it's going to be for you, but see one fresh thing. Because creation like the biologist Ken Miller, creation, we know this, is not over and done. It's not something that happened long, long ago or far, far away. It's happening right here in our midst. And so you can cultivate that mindset to see one fresh thing that you might just tilt your head at and say, my God, this is amazing. And you might be like one of the ancient angels in one of my favorite myth stories, that after the creation of the world, God called three angels together, said, bragging a little bit, what do you think? What do you think of this new thing that's in existence here? One angel said, yeah, it's pretty good. It wasn't mean. Another angel took a look at it and said, well, it's quite good. But what's it for? What does it do? Divine shook God's head. And the third angel stood up and looked around, said nothing. Just started applauding. See one fresh thing. Amen. May you live in blessing.
Let's pray together. God of sight, God of insight. Of the miraculous. Or rather, of the invitation to miraculous lives. We know that this is within our capacity, within our hands, not to rely upon the unreliable, but to look again with eyes of love, eyes of appreciation, eyes of grace upon this creation. No, it is still going on in our midst, and it is here for us, for all of us right now. So this is our prayer. Let's answer that call and begin to live miraculously. Amen.